to our Bibles now. If you want to follow the reading, it will be appearing on the screen uh, behind me. And uh, we've been making our way through John's Gospel over the uh, past weeks and months. And we're getting right to the end of John's Gospel. We're in the last chapter of John's Gospel, chapter 21. The reason why John writes his Gospel is that you might believe in Jesus. That's why he writes. And if you do already believe in Jesus, he writes it so that you may continue to believe in Jesus and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is an eyewitness. He has walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. He was there and he wants you to know that, that he testifies to all the things that he's written, that he was there. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He was there, a witness of the resurrection. And chapter 20, it, it, it almost, as we read it last week, appeared that he was closing his gospel. He gave the reason why he uh, wrote it, and it, it had all the feelings of an ending. And then he adds chapter 21. I, I kind of see it as a PS. I don't know if you've ever written letters. I know we text everything now, but I, you know, occasionally I still put a PS on something. Oh, I've forgotten something. I've put my name and yours sincerely and all that kind of thing. You don't do that anymore anyway, do you? Love ya. Um, that kind of thing. But I, I see this as a PS from John. He's just got another thing to say. Something to say about Peter. Something to say about himself. Something to say about Jesus. I mean, he, he can say so much about Jesus. He actually says in this last bit, if I were to say all the things about Jesus, the world would not contain all the books that could be written about Jesus. But I think there's an important thing. One of the things that I think he wants to get across is about Peter. And this morning, if you've ever felt a failure in your Christian life, or ever just felt a failure, God wants to encourage you today. He loves you. And so uh, we're going to read uh, John chapter 21, just up to verse 19. We're going to save just one little bit for next week, okay? So it says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are John and James, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No! Or no, they answered. <laughs> he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, and that's John's description of himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. 
Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of them dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for the Bible and we thank you for John's gospel. We thank you for the way that as we have looked at it over these past weeks and months, it has taught us so much about you. And we pray even today that through this passage, as we just share together about what you were doing and saying, and the reaction of the disciples as well, that you would teach us, that you would do something in our hearts. Stir faith in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Galilee is a beautiful beautiful place. I've had the privilege of going out to the Holy Land a few times, and um, this is the site, and it's the one of the most accurate sites. There are, you go around the Holy Land, they say, well, Jesus did this. It might have been here, but it might not have been here. This is one of the sites where they have sort of accurate records that this was where this incident happened. These rocks were where boats would have been brought onto shore, and of course, like they do, they built a church on it, a building on it, but that's what happens. And, um, but, uh, and that's the Sea of Galilee there, and it is absolutely beautiful. The level of the sea has dropped quite significantly over the years, and that's since I've been going, those two photographs, just the last 20 years, and, um, because it supplies all the water supplies for Israel, basically. And uh, obviously, it's replenished by uh, the River Jordan, but uh, the level has dropped. Don't fear, there's still lots of it. I mean, lots and lots of it. But what makes this now special in the way that the water has dropped, because you can now imagine this story, because you can walk on that beach. That's the view from it, from the actual lake, from a boat. And uh, you can see where uh, the boats would have been brought ashore. It was like a natural little harbor for the boats to be dragged ashore. And we're told that it was early in the morning, and uh, this is sunrise over Galilee, just west of Capernaum, and you get the sense of what it must have been like on that morning. And John describes this as the third time that Jesus had appeared 
to the disciples and uh, after the resurrection. And uh, they had gone out fishing at night. And again, you can still see boats on the lake of Galilee early in the morning. Tend to just go back to the sunrise and, whoa, leave that on. If you get bored with me, you just gaze at the sunrise. (laughs) Peter and John had been fishing partners. Before they ever met Jesus, they were in business together. That's what they did. We do laugh at that when we read the Gospels because they never seem to catch anything. But that's the way it goes. They were fishing partners. But when they met Jesus, everything changed. And that's the Christian testimony over 2,000 years. When we met Jesus, everything changed. One of their first encounters with, with Jesus was near this spot was when Jesus was preaching and he said to Simon, can I borrow your boat? And he preached from the boat because the crowds were so big. And then after the crowds had gone away, he said to Peter, let's, let's go fishing. And Peter said, no, that's a bad idea. We went fishing all night. We caught nothing. And Jesus kind of insisted. And he said, okay, because you say. And they go fishing. They catch a miraculous amount of fish. And Peter has to call John over with the other disciples as well. And they bring in this amazing catch of fish. It's probably the catch of a lifetime. They could have set up business, a fish and chip shop, you know, forever. I mean, what would you call it, you know? I don't know. But they left the biggest catch they'd ever caught to follow Jesus. Because there was something about Jesus. And they'd been with him for three years followed him, heard him, seen him do the most amazing things, heard him say the most amazing things, seen him crucified, but then risen from the dead. It had been a roller coaster ride. And here they are again in Galilee. Some people have questioned why they've gone back to Galilee. Well, simplest reason is one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus, he says, Tell the disciples, I'll meet them in Galilee. So they've gone back. But there's only seven of them. John tells us that seven disciples were involved, and the named ones are Simon Peter, Thomas. Now Thomas, who was, we call him the doubter, he was the one who wanted to put his hands uh, in Jesus' nail marks. He is not going to miss anything. If the disciples are going somewhere, they're gonna, he's going to go along. And so he tags along with them. There's James and John, the writer of the gospel. And then it's a bit sad because John just says, and two others. I mean, imagine if you were the two others and you don't get named. We were there. I mean, we were there, John. And two others. Maybe they'd upset him. Who knows? We don't know. We guess it's Philip and Andrew because those seven were from Galilee. They were all from Galilee. So they've gone back to their sort of hometown, as it were. And Simon Peter has the idea to go fishing, because they're, they're hanging around. So they decide to go fishing. And yet again, they catch nothing. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of business they had, but uh, they caught nothing yet again. And so they're coming back early in the morning, and they, well, they, don't, they hear a stranger on the shore calling out to them. Have you caught any fish? I mean... You know, imagine you being Simon Peter, what you're going to say to this helpful stranger standing on the shore. Have you caught any fish? No, we haven't caught any fish. 
Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Something. For John, something's beginning to twig. And they catch another miraculous haul of fish. And uh, as fishermen do, if you've met a fisherman, they tell you how many they've caught. And it was so big. 153 of them, it says. But it's when they catch that miraculous sort of uh, catch of fish that John is the first to twig who it is. Because they can't quite make him out. It's early in the morning. The sun, you know, who, whatever reason, they don't recognize Jesus. But he does, and he says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And it's so funny when you read this. Because as soon as Peter hears, it's the Lord, he gets dressed and jumps in the water. Now, we would do it the other way around, wouldn't we? We would, we would take our clothes off and jump in the water. He is, it's the Lord. He's desperate. He is desperate to get to Jesus. He just gets his cloak on and he jumps in the water. Why is he desperate to get to Jesus? He's desperate to get to Jesus because although he has already met Jesus risen from the dead, he is still carrying something in his heart that is so painful that only Jesus can deal with it because he feels a failure. Simon Peter feels a failure. And it's because he denied Jesus. You see, Simon, if you read through the Gospels, Simon is, he's the front man of the disciples. He is the one who's always speaking first. He, he puts his foot in it. He puts his mouth in it. He declares in front of Jesus, when Jesus says, you're going to deny me, he says, no way will I deny you. Even if everybody else denies you. I won't. In fact, I'll die for you. And then when Jesus is arrested, Peter springs into action, remember? He is the one who's got the sword. He is the one who says, I'm going to defend Jesus. And he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus has to say, put the sword away. This is why I've come. Jesus heals the man. He's called Malchus. What a testimony that he's got. Imagine on his baptism when he stands up and gives a testimony. I met Jesus. Peter cut my ear off. Jesus put it back. And then in the courtyard, because he and John follow Jesus to the high priest's house. And in the courtyard, Peter gets challenged. Have you ever been challenged like that? You're one of those Jesus freaks, aren't you? You're one of those happy, clappy Christians, aren't you? People say that of us sometimes, that we're a happy, clappy church. You should hear us clap. We're useless at it. Edward tried to teach us once, and it worked for about a week. But we are happy, because we know Jesus. Peter was challenged three times, and three times he even denied knowing Jesus. I don't know him. I'm not one of his followers. I'm nothing to do with him. Three times. Just as Jesus had said he would before the cock crowed. Remember the story? And he's carrying that. Have you ever felt a failure? Have you ever felt that you've let Jesus down? 
you know what Peter's feeling. And he jumps out of the boat. He has to get to Jesus. And he leaves the others to drag in the catch. And when they get to the shore, Jesus is already there cooking breakfast. And there's a charcoal fire. Bad news for Peter. You know when things just remind you of something. Sometimes a piece of music reminds you of a place. Sometimes a smell reminds you of something. Peter gets to the shore and there's a charcoal fire. And he remembers immediately it was round a charcoal fire that he denied Jesus. John says that they counted the fish. There were 153 big fish. In the Greek, in, in John's Greek, it's quite interesting because when he says in verse 11 that they counted 153 big fish, the verse before he says, Jesus says, bring some of your small fish. He calls them small fry because what Jesus is talking about is they will catch bigger fish than this. He is going to make them fishers of men and women and young people and children. These disciples are going to take the gospel out to the, to the whole world. It also tells me that Jesus doesn't need their fish. Where did Jesus get fish from? Were the shops open that early in the morning? It's a reminder of what Jesus said earlier, apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus already, he doesn't need their 153 big fish. He's already got fish. But he says, come and bring yours. It's something about that we partner God in his work. Sometimes as a pastor, sometimes as an evangelist, I, I feel it's down to me to persuade people to become Christians. And I do it with all my heart. Any of you, there's some of the folk from the Alpha course here this morning. And uh, they will testify that I've tried and tried my best to persuade. But it's only God who reveals. And there's something, there's a, there's a wonderful interaction when we respond to God. That our eyes get opened or the penny drops or whatever it is, how we describe it. It doesn't sound theological, but there's something that happens. It's not down to me. It's not down to you. Those of you who feel useless at witnessing about Jesus to your family and friends, take heart. It is not down to you to get the results. It's just down to us to be living witnesses of what we know, what we have experienced. It's not down to us. Sometimes I've heard preachers talk as if, if you know, Jesus didn't have our hands, he wouldn't have hands. That if he didn't have our lips, he wouldn't have lips. Jesus spoke creation into being. He is the Lord of glory. He sustains the whole universe. But he welcomes what we bring. And he says, come work with me. We don't ask God to work for us. We work with him. The secret of effective mission is saying, Jesus, you do what you can do and help us to do what we can do. And let's not feel guilty. If we are witnessing, if we are sharing, that's all we can do. We cannot be responsible for people's responses 
That is their response. Every one of them. Now, the significance of the 153 fish. Well, I could have spent hours this week just going through all the different wonderful things that people have said about the 153 fish. I came to the conclusion after reading them, it was just a lot of fish. Just simply a lot of fish. Jerome, well, a great saint he was, he said there were 153 species of fish in the sea. That's why they caught 153. Well, how does he know? I don't know. Edward's a marine biologist. We'll ask him next week, but... I have a feeling there's probably a few more than that. Augustine was even better than that. He said, well, there's ten commandments, and seven is the number of grace, and seven is the perfect number. So if you add the ten with the seven, and then you add one to two, and two to three, and three to four, and four to five, and six, up to 17, you get 153. <laughs> and by the end, you think, well, what's your point? Just a lot of fish. But deeper is the invitation of Jesus. He's there and he sets the initiative. He's already there preparing breakfast. He says, come eat with me. That's his invitation. His invitation, I knock on the door of your life. If you open the door, I'll come in and eat with you. He invites us into relationship with him. This supper by the Galilee beach is, is sort of a reminder for them of the Lord's Supper that they shared. It's a reminder for them. And when John in his revelation starts talking about when Jesus comes back, he says there's going to be a great supper, a wedding banquet for all those who have trusted in Jesus when he comes back. This is just a foretaste of that. And so Jesus prepares breakfast. And then, and this is one of the most moving exchanges in the New Testament. He says to Peter, come away with me. Just, just come aside. Not out of earshot. Because John hears everything that's being said. And we're told later that he follows. A bit of a nosy, but he follows. Jesus takes Peter aside and with all the background of what Peter's carrying, remember what he's carrying. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He even picks up on Peter's words. Even if they all fall away, I won't. Do you truly love me more than these? And Peter Simon just says, Lord, you know that I love you. What more can he say? He can't protest anymore. He can't say, of course I love you more than those, because he failed. So he just says, you know, you know, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus commissions him. It's, it's as if Jesus is restoring Peter in these questions. He's restoring him. That's why he asks him three times. Denied him three times, he asks him three times. The next time, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Simon's response, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter is hurt 
because Jesus asked him a third time, but it's important. And Peter just says, Lord, you know everything about my, I can't hide anything from you. You see right through me. As he sees right through you and I. He sees right through us and he says, you know all things. You know that I love you. Three denials, three questions, three commissions. Again, John, when he's writing this, we, we lose a little bit in the translation here because John puts it, do you truly, Jesus says, do you truly love me? The word there that John uses is agapetos. It's godly love. It's as if Jesus is saying, do you love me like I love you? And Peter says, no, I don't. He, Peter uses the word philios in his reply. It's friendship love. It's best friend love. It's, it's you, know, you know, you can't separate as love, but it's not agapetos love. And so Peter responds and says, yes, you know that I love you, philios love. Jesus asks him again, do you agapetos me, love me, Peter? And Peter says, you know that I philios love you. <laughs> do you get the sense? Third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you philios love me? And that's what hurts Peter. Because Peter knows that he can't love Jesus like Jesus loves him. He knows that. I can't love Jesus how Jesus loves me. I know I can't. Jesus' love is unconditional. It never ends. It never fails. never falters. never breaks. never lets you down. And Peter knows his love isn't like that. And then Jesus says, do you philios love me? That's what hurt. And he says, you know. You know that I love you. And it is just the most beautiful moment when Jesus restores Peter. In those three affirmations, Jesus is forgiving and restoring and committing Peter. Yes, you are qualified to serve. And he gives him the task that Jesus had. Jesus called himself the good shepherd and he says to Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And here it is. Here is the secret of all Christian discipleship and ministry. From Peter and John, the Apostle Paul, to the great leaders of the church in history, like Luther and Wesley and Billy Graham and you and me, this is the secret. Failure is not the final word with Jesus. And the secret of Christian discipleship is this. Do you love me, says Jesus. Not have you done all that for me? And what did you do for me? Just do you love me? Because we can be religious. We can put up a good show. But not love Jesus. It's been a problem with the church down through the centuries of doing religious stuff. And not falling in love with Jesus. That's what becoming a follower of Jesus is. We fall in love with Jesus. And he sees right through our heart. And we say with Peter, you know. You know everything about me. You know my heart. The times when I have let Jesus down and I've just had to come before him and say, you know everything about me. You know my heart. If you have ever felt a failure... 
God wants to say to you, that is not the end. That is not the end of the story because he can restore. He can redeem. And if you're in the middle of it right now, you hang on in with Jesus because he is the restorer. What he asks of us is, do you love me? Well, why wouldn't you love Jesus? Because if you don't love Jesus, you have not understood what he has done for you. He has died for you, for your sins. He has made the way for you to have eternal life. Not based on what you do. Not based on how good you are. Not based on how religious you are, but just on trusting in Jesus. No one else has loved you like Jesus has loved you. And so we say with the, we can't love you like that, Jesus, but we love you like this. Do you love him? That's what marks out Christians, followers of Jesus. They love Jesus. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what is going on, no matter the pain and the suffering that we go through, we love Jesus because he has never let us down. And his love will sustain us through all things. His love that will cause you to worship with all of your heart. And so here we have this beautiful, and I think that's why John put the PS. Jesus restored Peter. He restored Peter. Peter on the day of Pentecost will lead that just sort of new church that is born. Jesus restored him. John wants the world to know. And he wants us to know that that failure that we have carried in our heart, Jesus can turn around. He can restore and redeem. By the time John wrote this, Peter was dead. By the time John wrote this gospel, Peter had died by crucifixion. All the traditional and and, uh, the more accurate records of the early disciples explain that Peter died for Jesus. He fulfilled that early promise that he said, but he'd gone through the refining fire, as we all do. Peter would give his life for Jesus. At the end of this encounter, Jesus does say that there will come a day when people will take you where you do not want to go. And he, he describes the way that Peter will die. But at the end he says, follow me. Follow me. Walk with me. Partner with me. And that's Jesus' invitation to us all today. And whether you felt a failure, or you still carry it in your heart, Jesus wants to take that away. He wants to restore. Allow him by the Holy Spirit to do that in you. And he calls you to follow him. The invitation, even today, come and share in this meal in remembrance of me. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you can say that you love Jesus, if you can say that, yeah, Jesus is the one I'm trusting, I believe he died for me and rose from the dead, then come, share. Jesus invites us. Even if today, for the very first time, you're here and you've heard 
and you've said, yeah, Jesus is for me, then come share. This Jesus is for you. He says, come follow me. He is the restorer and the one who redeems. And he calls us by name. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage of scripture that we've looked at today. And thank you for what you've said to each one of us. And it may be different what you've said to each one of us through it. But I want to pray specifically for people who have, even this morning, as they've sat in the chair here, have felt a failure in one way or another, that they've let you down in one way or another. And I pray, Lord, that you would come by your spirit and bring healing and restoration. That that is not the end of the story. Pray for those here this morning who maybe have just begun to follow you, Jesus. And I pray that you would encourage them just to keep going with you, keeping their eyes fixed on you. I pray that you'll bless them. And for many of us, we've been followers of Jesus for some time. And we pray again that we will be renewed and refreshed. As we reaffirm our faith, as we say again that we are proud to be followers of Jesus. And would you say that you would love him today if you were challenged? Jesus calls us to partner with him in his great mission. And Lord, in our day-to-day, -day, help us to live for you wherever you place us. Among our families who don't know you, among our friends, our work colleagues who don't know you, help us just to carry that hope in our heart and never be afraid to speak for you. And will you pour out your spirit, we pray, and give us courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond by singing, and then the children are going to make their way back as we um, conclude our service by sharing communion.